this uh, topic as we discuss if God, if God. Now, um, we're, we're kind of deviating off of a series and we're going to get back on it. Next week is Father's Day and then the following week we're going to launch a summer series, Stories Jesus Told. But this morning we're going to uh, look at this, uh, this phrase, if God, from Romans chapter 8, if God. Now, how many of you have ever uh, used the expression, if only, if only, if only this, then this would be different. If only that happened, then this would be different. Anybody have those moments before? Anybody ever wonder? Uh, Hollywood does a great job for us. They put out movies that, that kind of show this picture of, you know, if only this happened, then something different, you know, a whole alternate reality would exist. This whole difference of life would happen. Life would be so much different if only this happened. In 1990, I remember watching this movie as a child. A movie came out called Mr. Destiny. Mr. Destiny. And the story was about a, a, a man who had grown up and kind of looked back over his years of life and thought, oh, if only. And he was a, a, an athlete in school. He was a baseball player. And he looked back over his life and he thought, if only I had hit that home run out of the park for the winning uh, for the winning run in the championship game. Oh, my life would be so much different if only. And then, I don't know, you know, like magical movies. He uh, relives his teenage life and he hits the ball out of the park. And the whole story begins to unfold. And yet it's not what he knew. So he'd go to the wrong house because he thought he lived there. He'd talk to the woman who he thought was his wife who had no idea who he was. If only. We all have those moments in our life. If only. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. What is your what if or if only moment? Because here's, here's what I want to share a couple thoughts with you this morning as we dig into Romans chapter 8. But this, that one little if can change your life. One little if. Now, I don't necessarily mean when you look back and go, oh, if I would have. Maybe it's a moment you're in right now. If I step out in faith, it'll change your life. I'm going to share two illustrations. One of a past, if only, how it can change your life. And one of, a, of a, another past, but it's, it's a moment where stepping out instead of looking at the difference. I talked to my wife about this beforehand, so she knows I'm going to share this. Uh, in grade eight, uh, Michelle had the chance to be adopted, and, uh, which was very uncommon for teenagers to be adopted. Yet she had this opportunity to be adopted. Grade eight, we'd never met. We didn't even know each other existed. I was in high school. She was in elementary school, different elementary schools, or different, different schools, elementary schools growing up, different high school at this point. And uh, she had the chance to be adopted. Now, if... She would have chose to continue with the adoption and be adopted. She would have moved to Paris, which is a small town just outside of Brantford, and probably would have gone to Paris High School, and we would have competed against, in sports against each other, but we probably would have never met. If she would have been adopted, then we would have never met, which meant that we would have never gotten married, which meant that we would have never had the children that we had. You see, an, an if can change your life. An if can paint a different picture. 
but she didn't, thankfully. She chose not to be adopted, and then she fell in love with me because I came riding in. Oh, sorry, alternate reality. Um, One little if, it's a two-letter word, can change a life drastically. Here, let me share this other story. How many of you have ever heard of the church, the Brooklyn Tabernacle? The Brooklyn Tabernacle is some 16,000 plus church. It wasn't always that way. Brooklyn Tabernacle is known as this incredible church, this mega church in the States. It's known for its outstanding Grammy winning choir, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And it wasn't always that way. In fact, when the pastor who's there now, who's been there for almost over 40 years, uh, Pastor Jim Simbola came to the church in the early 70s, the church was struggling. It was a mess. It had some 30 people in the church. Times were tough. They struggled to pay bills. And Pastor Jim shares this thought. In the beginning, there were many days as a pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle that I found myself very discouraged. Now, Jim was spending a huge multitude of hours studying and felt like his congregation was being gypped in some way by his less than perfect sermons. And in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, he says this, the embarrassing truth is that sometimes I didn't want to show up for services. It was that bad. See, there was a season And it wasn't always this big mega church. Jim knew that the church desperately needed a visitation from the Holy Spirit or it was a bust. One day, in a spirit of brokenness, tired in body and mind, he called out to the Lord. He called out to God and said, Lord, I have no idea how to become a successful pastor. All I know is that Carol and I, his wife Carol, are working in the middle of New York City with people dying on every side, overdosing from heroin, consumed by materialism, and all the rest. If the gospel is so powerful... And he said he was stopped in his tracks. He couldn't finish the sentence. Tears were choking him. And then quietly, but forcefully, in words heard not by his ears, but deep in his heart, God spoke to him and said this, If... If you and your wife will lead my people to prayer and call upon my name, you will never lack for something fresh to preach. I will supply all the money that's needed, both for the church and for your family, and you will never have a building large enough to contain the crowds I will send in response. One word. If, one little if can change your life. If, God spoke to Pastor Simbel and said, if, if you and your wife will lead my people to prayer and call upon my name, then there won't be a big enough space for all the people that are going to come and experience the presence of God. Not you, but the power of God. If, one word. Two letters changed a life. The church, 16,000 plus, has 
15, 16, at least 100 people in their prayer service on Tuesday nights. If, if you and your wife will lead my people to prayer and call upon my name. Amazing how one if can change a life. One if can change a life. You are, in fact, one if away from an alternate, alternate reality. I don't mean like going back in time. I mean this. Maybe you're facing something. And if you step out in faith, that wall will crumble like we heard last week. That wall will crumble and a new reality will exist. Maybe like Pastor Simbla, if you call on me in prayer, on my, call on my name in prayer, that lives will be changed and transformed. Not because you can do anything, but because God's moving through you and you're listening to His call. You're one if away from an alternate reality. You're one step from walking into the river and the water's parting like we heard last week. You're one cheer away from the walls crumbling like we heard last week with Jericho. If, if. In fact, we look through Scripture and there are a number of moments where if is used in the Bible. I did a quick search over 1,500 times depending on the translation you use. And many of those ifs are connected to God's promises. Listen to a few of them. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I, God says, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. If, if my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Second Chronicles seven fourteen, Matthew 17 verse 20 says, Jesus said, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Because nothing is impossible with God. John fifteen seven says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you... You may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted according to His will. If. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are Saved. Listen, these ifs are promises and they can change your life. They can change your circumstance and your situation and create an alternate reality. Second Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. First John 1.19, But if we confess our sins to him. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Forgive us, our, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If. Now this brings us to the verse this morning. If. God. If. God. Romans 8.31. Romans 8 is one of those chapters in the Bible that is filled with so much rich content. And Paul's writing to the church. And these 
these words that Paul writes, I mean, the whole book is absolutely outstanding, but this chapter is just unbelievable. It's overwhelming. It is so rich in life giving, and it still holds this if question, this two-letter word, this if that could change your life, and we have to grab it and understand it. Romans 8.31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? What shall we say? What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? He's gone back on this journey of this letter that he's been writing. And what, what, what shall we say? And he tags it with this line. And many of you quoted this. Many of you know this. If God is for us. Anybody know the rest? Well, you can read it here, right? Who can ever be against us? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? This is profound. This is powerful. This is life-changing. If we grasp it and understand it. You see, if God is for us, then who could ever be against us? And so many times we fall short and not understand this peace, this promise. If God is for us, who could be against us? Because, friends, we have to understand and we have to grasp this within our hearts. This needs to sink deep within us because it is so life-changing. If God is for us, who could be against us? Here's what I want to say to you. You need to hear this, that God is for you, okay? God is for you. Some of you would say, really? God? Yes, God is for you. No, really? Yes, God is for you, but here's what it is. It's not just today and not tomorrow. It's not just in the moment when you're in church. God is for you in every way and in every day. This is a promise. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, who can ever be against you? Life changing. God is for you in every way and in every day. Well, really, how's that possible? Do you really? Yes, I believe it. Yes, it's true. Listen to what Paul writes in the earlier chapter of five, chapter five of Romans. When we were utterly helpless, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. When we were utterly helpless, he came. Christ came and at just the right time and died for us sinners. Christ came just the right time because he is for you in every day and in every way. He came at just the right time. Well, we were helpless and sinners. He came to die for us. If God is for us, then who could ever be against us? Paul continues to say, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Most people wouldn't be die, willing to die for a righteous person or an upright person, depending on your translation. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. It's very rare, but maybe somebody would be willing. It, it doesn't happen often, but, but maybe, maybe somebody would. But God, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still Sinners, God is for you every way and every day. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. God was for you. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? 
And since, Paul continues, we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since, we, since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, well, we were still His enemies. He's still for you, even though you were His enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. That God is for you in every day and in every way. So now, Paul says, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Here's a, a promise. Here's, here's, here's the truth. Here's the, the reality that we need to embrace because maybe some of us have forgotten about this, that God is for you in every way and in every day. No matter what that circumstance looks like. No matter what that mountain or what that wall or what that struggle or problem looks like. God is for you. He sent his son to die for you while you were still sinners. This is incredible. Yet, somehow, some way, we've got caught up and bought into the lie or we could call this, we talk about the original sin, you know, the fall of mankind. Well, it started with the original lie from the enemy. And the original lie is that God is against you. God's not for you. God is against you. Remember, Adam and Eve in the garden and everything's great and perfect. And God says, you know, you can eat from anywhere but this. And the enemy, the serpent, comes to Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and says... You won't die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. She said, well, if we eat from that, we'll die. And, 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 she, and he's saying, you won't die. This is this twist. And here's where the lie comes in. God knows. God knows. He's, he's hiding something from you. He's, he's not for you because he's keeping something from you. He's against you. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. So he's not for you, he's against you because he's keeping this from you. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So God is against you by keeping you from eating this. This is the lie that the, the enemy's feeding into Eve, yet has bred into our culture. You know, God's against you. God's against you. And yet we read scripture that says, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? But we bought into the lie that God is against us. The original lie that God is against you, well, that's not true at all. The truth is that God is for you. God is for you. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? And Paul finishes Verse 32, by saying this. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? God is for you. Maybe you're here and you've bought into the lie that God is against you. God is for you. God is for you. Maybe Maybe you, you, you've allowed culture that's fed this idea that God is against us. 
that God is mean and cruel and He's against us. No, God is for us. He gave His Son for us. That well, even when we were enemies, even when we were sinners, even when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, He gave His Son and Jesus cleansed us, makes us alive. Okay, maybe you haven't bought that lie. Maybe you have. But the truth is God is for us and that gives us hope. Because God is for you, it gives us confidence. We can have confidence in who God is. Who God says He is. We can have faith. Authentic faith, believing God is who He says He is. And that He's going to do all that He's promised to do. That we can have confidence in Him because we know that God is for us. He's not against us. God is for us. Then what could ever be against? Nothing. God is for us. And we have an enemy that's trying to feed us the lie. But we can have confidence. Now, we don't have self-confidence We have holy confidence that God is who He says He is. Not self-confidence that I can do it, but we can trust in who God is and who He says He is. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since He gave His Son to die for you and for me, while I was still a sinner, while I was still an enemy of God, He's for me, not against me. And I have confidence not in how good I am, but how great God is. I have confidence, not how, how well I can love people, but how unconditionally God loves everyone. This holy confidence, not self-confidence. The original lie says that God is against us, but the truth is God is for us. God is for you. So as we read this verse... As we begin to understand chapter 8, verse 31, that if God is for us, who could ever be against us? We, I guess, have to look at this, because maybe this is where the, we don't buy the lie, but we find ourselves falling into this trap. We don't understand God properly. Not that we'll ever really fully understand God. But here's what we do instead we take our perception of who God is and we cast it upon Him. Or maybe we take the perception of our Father, earthly Father here, and we, that gives us the picture of who God as our Father is. Some that's not good, some that's great. But it will never be the same as who God actually is. So here's, here's what happens. Is that our image of God is off. Maybe we didn't buy into the lie that, that God is against us. We know that God is for us. But our image of God could be off for some of us. Why? Because we do this as humans. We project our imperfections on God. Our image of God is off because we project our imperfections onto who God is. And then it gives us a picture that God can't be for us because He's not really all... He can't can't be for us. 
We project our imperfections on God. So we begin to say things like this. Well, God is not 100% for me because I'm not 100% for God. Or God fails me. The truth is because we fail God, so we project that onto Him. Or God is holding stuff back from me. Well, it's probably because we are holding stuff back from God. So we project our imperfections onto God and that messes up the image of God and we're now caught in this moment where we say, how can God be a for me? Because He's not there when I need Him. He's not there in the the hurt or in the, the difficulty. Well, God is there. But it's our imperfections that we perfected on projected onto god which is twisted the way that we see him god is for you friends our image is off and what we need to do is to realign our image because this is a vicious cycle of projecting our imperfections on god yet god is perfect god is holy god is an all-consuming fire god is omniscient omnipresent and omnipotent, that God is God. And it's not, we can't project our imperfections onto Him. See, we need to realign our image of who God is. We need to realign our image of who God is, not based on our imperfections, but on His perfection. That we read the words in Isaiah chapter 55 and we allow them to speak into our lives. It says, my thoughts, says the Lord, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. So don't, perf- don't project your imperfections onto God to get your picture of God. His thoughts are far greater than your thoughts. His ways are far beyond or higher than our ways, higher than we could ever imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, I'm not even going to begin to... to Talk about the the distance in space. But that is a long way. That is a long way. The distance is how far His thoughts are. His ways are than ours. And we need to realign our image of God to see the perfect, the holy, the creator of this universe that thinks way different than we do, that is greater and, and more powerful than we are, and that we don't project our imperfections on Him to say that God is holding out on me, that we realize that we are holding out on God, that He is there to love and to care and to pour out His blessings, to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. If God is for us, who could be against us? If one little word, one little if could change your life. And if we're caught up viewing God based on who we think He is, then we're going to fall short. But we need to see God for who He really is. Great and mighty and worthy of our praise. So my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher 
than your thoughts. J.K. Chesterton writes these words. How much happier would you be? How much of you there... Sorry, how much happier you would be? How much of you there would be if the hammer of the higher God could smash your small cosmos? If he could just shatter your picture to see God for who he really is, to see him for how great and how awesome he is, to see God as for you, not against you, how it would change your life. Much like, much like if, as we read in Romans 9 and 10, if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, if it changes our lives. If we are in Christ, the new creation has come. If we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Worship team, if you come, and I want to close with this. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're 